Today we're continuing with our fifth part in our series on the letter to the Philippians. In the first part, we saw how this body of believers was founded and established. And we saw that they were a group of believers who responded to the word of God. They experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And they stood firm in their faith in the face of opposition and persecution. And then in part two, we looked at chapter one, verses one to 11, and we talked about how God wants our love to abound more and more in depth and insight and knowledge so that we can have godly discernment, so that we can be found pure and blameless on the day of Jesus, and that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Then in part three, we looked at verses 12 to 14 and saw that you can't chain up God. You can't chain up the grace of God. I mean, you can chain up his followers, but you can't chain up the activity of the Holy Spirit. And then last week in part four, we looked at verses 15 to 26 and saw that Paul was able to deal well with a very bad situation because for him to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He was relying 100% on Jesus and not what anybody else was doing or not doing. And we also saw that that is what will enable us to deal well when we're dealing with bad situations. Our faith, our hope, and our trust are in God. Now, all right, today we're going to look at verses 27 to 30. And we'll see that in these verses, Paul pivots in his focus. I mean, what went before, Paul was just updating them on his situation. He's letting them know how things are going for him. And in the process, he's demonstrating for us what it means to live Jesus in every situation. What it means to let Jesus live his resurrection life through us in every situation. And he was in a situation. I mean, how many of you have ever felt like you're in a situation, like you're up the creek without a paddle? Well, Paul was definitely in a situation. He was in prison. He had to give an account of himself to the Roman emperor soon. And then he had rivals on the outside who were trying to stir up trouble for him while he was waiting for that. And, but now, in these next verses, he's going to pivot. And as we move into these verses, um, he's going to begin to focus on them, on what God wants to say to these Philippian believers in Jesus and what he wants to say to us. So let's read the entire passage to get a sense of it, and then we'll come back and unpack them together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, would you bow with me in prayer over the word of God? Heavenly Father, please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives, and give us faith to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, 
Let's unpack this together. Beginning in verse 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. Can you just focus on those two words for a minute? I mean, there's an immediate context to them. I mean, Paul is saying, you know, whatever happens to me, whatever, whatever happens in my situation that I just shared with you, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I, whether I die or whether I'm released to you, right? Whatever happens with Paul, right? But I don't think that will do any damage to the text if we apply it in a little bit of a broader way. Whatever happens with them, with these Philippian believers, whatever happens with us, whatever happens throughout history, even down to our day, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. For you see, Paul knew that stuff happens. I mean, whatever happens. That throughout history, stuff was going to happen that affects the church, that affects the body of Christ, that affects believers in Jesus. And already in his own day, the body of Christ in various locations had experienced both times of peace and times of trouble and difficulty and persecution. I mean, think about the earliest church in Jerusalem. The the Sanhedrin uh, tried to keep people from speaking in the name of Jesus. They even brought all the apostles in and had them beaten. And then it says a persecution broke out from Jerusalem against the church, and everyone was scattered. And this persecution spread as far as Damascus, and they would drag people from houses trying to get them to recant their faith in Jesus. And then, and then later, Paul and his team were often the objects of this trouble and persecution. In Iconium, there was a plot to assassinate them. In Lystra, crowds first tried to worship Paul and Barnabas, and then they ended up stoning Paul and leaving him for dead. Then in Philippi, they were beaten and thrown in prison. And in Thessalonica, a, a mob started a riot and dragged some of Paul's friends before the magistrates and, and accused them of wrongdoing. And uh, things like that happened in Berea and in Corinth and in Ephesus as well. I mean, Paul understood that whatever happens, stuff happens. Times of peace and difficulty happened to Paul, to the early church, throughout history, and even down to our day. Across the world, I mean, even before all of this coronavirus stuff happened, there were varying levels of peace and times of trouble for the body of Christ. In places like China and North Korea and India and many Muslim countries, it's very difficult to live as a Christian. Stuff happens. Whatever happens. And in our own individual lives, we have times of peace and blessing, and then we have times of difficulty. Unexpected trials come. The death of a loved one. An economic downturn. A job loss. A death in the family. A a worldwide pandemic. Stuff happens. Whatever happens. But going on, he says, whatever happens Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So no matter what happens, whatever situation you find yourself in, whether in a time of peace or in a time of difficulty or a time of persecution, act in a way that honors Jesus. Conduct yourselves in a way that is consistent with the gospel or that is worthy of the gospel. Now, what in the world does that even mean? I mean, worthy of the gospel. Well, 
if you're going to understand that, you first have to understand what the gospel is. I mean, what is the gospel? You know, when you, when you hear those words, the gospels, most of us immediately think of the four books at the beginning of the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the gospels. But when we talk about the gospel, it means even more than that. You see, the word gospel means good news. And so the gospel of Jesus is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about Jesus that is described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and the rest of the New Testament. You know, the world is filled with bad news. I mean, bad news about wars, about famines, about pandemics, about political arguments, about murders and, and, and crime, and all sorts of things. In case you hadn't noticed, there's no shortage of bad news. And in case you didn't know it, the devil's got bad news as well. I mean, he tricked the world out of paradise and into sin and into falling away from God. He lies. He deceives. He tries to come posing as an angel of light, trying to make evil things look good and trying to make good things look evil, all in an attempt to keep people in bondage to keep people locked in fear and dread, to keep people enslaved to sin and to drag as many people to hell with him. The devil is bad news. But Jesus is good news. God has good news for you. From the first verse of Matthew all the way to the last verse of Revelation, Jesus is good news. And I encourage you to read about it a lot. But in case you haven't, let me give it to you in, in a nutshell. I mean, it's all over the New Testament, but, but it's summarized beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. John says that he died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He goes on to say that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just like a bad thing that happened to a good guy. It wasn't just some cosmic or random injustice. It was the very sinless Son of God willingly leaving the glories of heaven to come here and live among us, to walk among us and teach us, and then to die at our hands, the just, the unjust, for the unjust to bring us to God, to pay the penalty for our sins, to endure the punishment that I deserve, that that you deserved, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When Jesus died on the cross, he was doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because you see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is spiritual death, away from God forever in a place of torment called hell. 
That's the bad news. But God didn't want that for anyone. The good news is that that verse goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. But, but that's not all. There's more. Because after he died for our sins, it says that death could not keep its hold on him. Because he possessed the power of an sinless, indestructible life, death couldn't hold him. And it says on the third day, the ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away and Jesus came to life again. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's good news. But, but that's not all. There's more. It says because after he rose... He ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, where it says he is interceding for you and for me. That is, when stuff happens in your life, when whatever is happening in your life, the Lord Jesus is seated right next to the heavenly Father, talking to him about you. Saying, God, do you see, Father, do you see the stuff that's happening in their lives? Would you help them? He says things like, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. He says, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Say, that's good news. But that's not all. There's, there's even more. Because at the Last Supper... Jesus said to his disciples, who were very sad at the time, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. I mean, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And this is how the Bible describes that place. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with him and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Good news. Jesus wants you to spend eternity with him in a place that is free from suffering and that is filled with love and acceptance. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so Paul tells these believers uh, in Jesus, he tells us, everyone who's experienced the good news, to conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. That is worthy of the good news. That is, act like you've been brought from death to life. I mean, don't continue in sin and the things that made Jesus have to die for you. Live the new life in Christ. Walk in the Holy Spirit and express the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here, let me make it like really simple for you, all right? Act in a way that would make Jesus glad to be associated with you. I mean, act in a way so that Jesus was standing right next to you when you did something or said something or reacted to something. It wouldn't make Jesus want to slowly kind of step 
out of the picture so that he wouldn't be associated with with what you just did. Instead, act and speak in a way that would make Jesus say, you know what, yeah, that's right. That's what I would have said. I mean, that's what I would have done. That's how I would have handled it. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. All right, one more little thing I want you to see in this half verse, and then we'll move on. Look at the word yourselves. Conduct yourselves. Now, this could be taken and probably should be taken in a personalized and individual way. That is, each of you in whatever situation you find yourself, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? However, Paul seems here to have in mind the body of Christ and how the body of Christ reacts as a group. And I think we'll see that as we move on in this passage and even next week into chapter 2. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves as a group, as a body, in a way that honors Jesus. Look at the second half of the verse. He says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm together. Don't give way. Don't give up. Don't give in to trials and temptations. Stand firm together. In one spirit. In other words, the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. The same Holy Spirit that's in you is in all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the more that we walk in the Holy Spirit, the more that we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, the more unified we'll be and the more able we are to stand firm together in one spirit. And then it says, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That is, we're not just islands of faith, all off doing our own thing. Now, I know it may feel that way right now, but I can promise you that this separation is going to come to an end. And so we need, as the body of Christ, to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. All right, going on now in verse 28. He says this, you know, I, want, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are people out there in our country who oppose the gospel of Jesus. You know, I'm talking about people who actively malign the Bible, who actively malign uh, biblical Christianity and slander and attack and mischaracterize those who hold to a biblical moral outlook. You know, I'm not talking about people who are maybe ambivalent or just don't care about Jesus. I'm talking about people who are angered by biblical morals and who actively seek to punish those who dare to express those outside the four walls of a church, in their daily lives, in their businesses. There have been Christian schools and photographers and bakers and florists and others who have been brought to court and made to defend themselves because they did not want to participate in things that went against their biblical morals. And it's not because they were forcing them on others or even being mean about it. They just wanted to not participate in it, and their lives were turned upside down because of it. These are some of the things that should cause us to stand 
firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. All right, going on in verses 29 and 30. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. Okay, now how many of you love the promises of God? All right, I love the promises of God. We love promises like, I will, I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and, uh, and to be with you, to give you a hope. You know, I love those promises. We love all of those promises. But how many of you ever wake up in the morning and you put your feet on the floor and you quote this verse? to start today. You know, good morning, Lord. It's been granted unto me to both believe in you and to suffer for you today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go on with our day. You know, it's not our favorite verse. But the thing about Jesus is that he is honest with us. I mean, Life is not all flowers and rainbows and sunny days and cool breezes all the time. There's some suffering in life. Sometimes there's some, there's some suffering for Jesus in life. Jesus is honest with us. But the thing about it is, that's what makes all of those other promises special. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. But he goes on and says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. What would those promises mean if there were never any trials? It's the trials that bring meaning to those promises. All right, well, let's stop there for today and, and next week we'll resume with chapter two but before we conclude this morning I, I just want to give you an opportunity if you are not yet a follower of Jesus if you're not yet walking a life of faith in Jesus I want to give you an opportunity to begin that right now so if you find yourself ready to respond to the gospel that we've talked about I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment it's a prayer of repentance and a prayer of faith it's not just a starting point. It's not, it's not just fire insurance or anything like that, but it's a, re, a prayer of repentance and faith to begin a walk with Jesus. So would you all bow in prayer with me and follow me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I confess I can't save myself. I can never measure up to your standard. You're holy, and I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. Jesus, please be my Savior. Please be my Lord. Help me to walk with you and grow in you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friend, I can tell you, if you've done that, then God has done everything that you've asked him to do. God says that old things are passed away. Everything has become new. 
sins are washed away and sins are forgiven. And so I want to encourage you to do just a few simple things to grow every day in your relationship with Jesus. First, get into the Bible, into the Word of God. If you've never been in it before, start in the Gospel of Mark, and you'll find that God is speaking to you in ways that you never imagined. And then second, just pray a little bit every day. Even if it's only five or ten minutes, God wants to hear from you every day. And then also, let somebody know what you've done. Maybe go to our website, LancasterFirst.com, and and fill out a Connect card and let us know what you've done. Or better yet, just put it in in the chat feature. And we'd love a chance to be able to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Amen. Well, would you all now just bow in prayer with me as we close this service? And as we do, if you've had some stuff happen in your life, if whatever has been happening in your life, would you put all of those prayer requests in the chat uh, feature. Uh, Mary and Mark have been uh, uh, watching those during the service, and as soon as we stop here, they're going to come back on live, and they're going to be praying over all of those requests uh, as I go out outside to do an outside service uh, for those who have uh, driven here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for everybody who's gathered in this online service. May your blessing rest on them in amazing and wonderful ways, for it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.